Welcome back, party people. We're back for another installment of Legally Dirty Blonde. It's our first of 2022, so I hope everybody's year is off to a great start. And since there haven't really been any trials that I thought were worth covering or that you guys would find super interesting so far in 2022, this quickie episode is going to be an update on just some true crime things that have been going on and, you know, that I thought were interesting and I thought you guys would find interesting. So let's dive right in. Maxwell trial, but before we're totally done, we have to do a little bit of an update, or at least I thought you'd want me to do a little bit of an update, so I'm going to. So you guys might have heard that there was a juror who basically talked to the press and said that during deliberations, he brought up his own history of sexual abuse, and this is now becoming a problem. So basically, the defense is saying this this warrants a mistrial that this is jury misconduct, so on and so forth. First of all, I don't know why this moron spoke to the press at all, but that's really besides the point. The point is that there is a reason why jury deliberations are private and not even that a judge is privy to those discussions going on. So the problem here isn't that this was discussed during deliberations, that's not at issue. People can use their own experiences and they do that all the time during jury deliberations. The problem is the problem that could ultimately lead to a, a new trial is that the juror is if the juror knowingly lied during the voir dire process, which is jury selection. So if the juror was specifically asked, you know, do you have a history of sexual abuse? And he was like, absolutely not. This could potentially be a problem. And the reason I say potentially is because of this. So this is a case in the federal courts of New York. And so when the judge is deciding all of this, there, the, Judge Nathan is going to look at precedent cases, and that case that she's going to look to is a 2015 United States Court of Appeals case where a juror admitted that she intentionally lied about being a lawyer and having her law license revoked or, excuse me, suspended. And she also lied about having prior criminal convictions. So in reviewing that case, the panel of judges were said her lie in and of itself wasn't enough to overturn the conviction for a new trial. There needed to be the added factor that she was unable to set aside her bias of being a lawyer. So the court specifically said that she lied, quote, precisely in order to gain a place on the jury, close quote, and that her lies were motivated to get her onto that jury so she would have the chance to convict the defendant. So basically, the lie alone isn't enough to meet the standard to overturn a case, or excuse me, overturn a conviction. They're going to have to show that the juror lied in order to get on that jury so that he could convict Maxwell. So again, it, this is all up to judicial interpretation by Judge Nathan. And at the end of the day, it's really, it's, it's a high standard to meet. And I don't know how easy it will be for the defense to prove that they are, that this warrants a mistrial here, because they're going to have to prove that this juror intentionally lied specifically in order to get on this jury so that he could convict Maxwell because of his bias of being a sexual abuse survivor. 
So as a lawyer, we never want to conclusively commit to anything here, but I do think it's going to be a difficult standard to meet, and I'm, I'm hopeful her conviction is going to stand. But all right, so hopefully we're done with Maxwell forever because she sucks and we're over her. Let's move on to some more interesting true crime news or stuff we haven't really talked about. So I'm sure a lot of you already know of this if you are a true crime junkie like I am, but this week we learned that the infamous Robert Durst, or Bobby D, as I like to call him, died at the age of 78 in a California state prison. So Robert Durst is probably my favorite murderer, which I know it's a weird thing to say, right? But he's just such a fucking weirdo that I, I can't help myself when I, when I, to say that. He's a fucking strange man, and his mannerisms are some of the weirdest things I've ever seen. If you haven't seen HBO's docuseries, The Jinx, go watch that. It's fucking incredible, and you will see what I mean by the weirdness. What is with the burping? Great question. Check it out. But let me just explain a little bit here. So in case you don't know who he is, he was recently, as recent as this year, he was found guilty of murdering a friend of his, Susan Berman, and that's why he was in that California state prison. Now, most infamously, he is known to be linked to the disappearance and likely murder of his wife, Kathy Durst, and this happened like 40 years ago, and nobody's ever been able to conclusively link him to it with any evidence of any kind. So basically, she went missing. No one's ever seen her ever again. Nobody ever found nothing. So it's, it's a pretty, it's a mystery, and it's a pretty big one. And this ha- that happened in New York. So the reason I bring this up is not just to tell you guys about how this motherfucker died, but it's because, honestly, I'm pissed. I'm pissed about it for a number of reasons. Number one, New York, my home, my home state, New York, I don't know what, you, what, what was going on here, but they never got the chance to try him, and I'm really mad about that. Number one, because the family is never going to have closure, meaning Kathy's family, will never have closure on this, and that's awful for them, and her friends and family. And if you go watch the Jinx, you'll, you'll see how much this has affected them over all of these years. But secondly, and more selfishly, I'm, I'm infuriated because I wanted to use that trial as our next trial that I was going to cover for you guys. Because in 2021, New York finally got a grand jury indictment against this motherfucker for killing his wife. So he was indicted by a grand jury in New York for the murder of Kathy Durst. And they never, for whatever reason, they never brought him back over here from California to start the trial. And I really don't know why. Uh, it's un- I don't know if it had to do with COVID. The reasons are unclear to me. But again, it hadn't even started. Nothing. We got nothing. And I am mad about that because you know what? Like I said, I'm mad for the family. But I also want to know how this asshole, who is se- seemingly sort of moronic in a lot of ways and absolutely all over the fucking place, how did he get away with murder how did he get away with this i want to know and i'm sure her family wants to know but i'm being selfish and i want to know and i wanted to cover that for you guys and i thought it would have been really interesting i thought that trial would have been you know top-notch trial top-notch uh top-notch reporting for you guys to come out of that but unfortunately we're never going to get there and you know we're just going to have to we're just going to have to speculate on how he got away with his his wife's murder for his entire life so 
you know, go watch the Jinx. When I say, what's with the burping, you'll know what I mean. Go watch it. It's really good. Anyway, let's move on. In other news, uh, the Michigan school shooter. Yeah, I know. I know most of you probably already forgot about this case because it's not on TV anymore, but you know what? I didn't forget, and that's what I'm here for. So let's talk about that. He pleaded not guilty to those charges brought against him. Good luck with that one, kid. And, you know, I, this brings me into another topic because how idiotic his parents were. You remember, you remember what happened with them? They are also being charged here because they were incredibly negligent in their ability to be able to stop what happened potentially, and they didn't. Anyway, we're not going to get into that. But anyway, these morons like basically went on the run when they knew they were going to get arrested. And how did they how did they go on the run? This brings me into the Brian Laundrie situation with Gabby Petito. I do not understand how someone in 2022, how the cops are letting people that they know are deeply connected to murders get away. I mean, luckily in this the uh, Ethan, yeah, Ethan Crumbly, Michigan case, you know, we found them in a warehouse hiding like idiots, but we weren't so lucky when it came to Brian Laundry. I truly do not understand why surveillance wasn't placed on these people in both situations. There's absolutely no excuse in my opinion. Law enforcement should be keeping an eye on A, suspects in murder cases, and two, persons of interest in murder cases. Like, hello, is this a new concept here? I don't think so. And especially in this situation with Brian Laundrie, I just really think that there's no excuse and that we should have some, some more answers. I mean, we and we would have more answers if, if that hadn't happened. If police had had surveillance on that kid, he would have never gotten away and we would have we we could have gotten more information about exactly what happened you know i think this was a huge oversight that allowed someone um you know to get away without being held responsible in the appropriate manner i understand that the guy killed himself but to me that that's not justice um i just think we need to pay attention more here the cops should have never allowed for this to happen it's not like they didn't know where brian laundry lived or that he was a suspect you know, they damn well knew what the situation was, and they knew that the Crumbleys were going to be charged, but even more so that, that they were an integral part of the Michigan school shooting, and they were going to be important to get information from. So again, I ask, why can't we just have one squad car keeping an eye on these houses, on these people's homes, until whatever needs to happen happens? You know, I really can't tell you because I think there should have been one, but yeah. That's just thoughts on, on that, but basically the only update with that case is that Ethan Crumbly, the shooter himself, pleaded not guilty. So that should be an interesting trial, and maybe we'll cover it. We'll see. Uh, let's move on to big news this week with a judge denying Prince Andrew's motion to dismiss the case against him. So he had brought a, he had brought a motion to dismiss the civil case that was brought by one of the outspoken victims, Virginia Roberts, now known as Virginia Jufre, I believe is how you say it. Um, so, on top of on, on top of the judge denying his dismissal motion, the more salacious news here is about Andrew's mommy, Queen Elizabeth. She's clearly fucking pissed because after this judge's denial of the motion, the royal family issued a statement saying, "quote." With the Queen's approval and agreement, the Duke of York's military affiliations and royal patronages have been returned to the Queen. Close quote. 
And in royal speak, that means he's been stripped of his titles. I actually kind of thought this move by the queen was a little aggressive given how much she's protected him with this so far. I don't mean to say I don't think that he deserves what happened here, but I thought the timing of, of that decision on her part was a little strange. Like, why didn't she do this when he was initially accused or after he gave that absurd fucking interview about the accusations and the photo with him in Virginia? And I'll talk about that in a second because it's fucking funny to me. But I guess I just felt like just because a judge here denies a motion to dismiss a case before the discovery happens, that, that's not an indication of guilt. It just means the judge is like, listen, we, we have to see what evidence comes out of this and we're going to let a jury decide. It, it doesn't mean anything more than that. So I guess I just felt like, you know, not much changed because of that ruling. So why didn't the queen wait until a verdict was reached and then strip his titles? I don't know. Like I said, don't get me wrong. I'm not mad about it, but it seemed like a weird timing based on like just because the court denied his motion to dismiss. But let's talk about that interview because first of all, what a moron. Can we, can we just talk about the sweating comment? Because I just find it very funny. Basically, Virginia said something like this dude was a sweaty mess. He, he was like sweating like a pig all over me. So fucking gross. That was just part of the description she gave during her story about, about one night when she met Pr Prince Andrew. But Prince Andrew, being the idiot that he is, latched onto that one detail for some strange reason to explain how the person that she is actually tr talking about and that must have committed these acts is obviously not him. So he, he goes, you know, it, it's funny that she said that I was sweating so much because, you know, I actually have a medical condition that causes me to be unable to sweat. Like, bro. Uh, first of all, that's like, I'm pretty sure that's not a thing. And why would you think that that would get you off the hook here? That it's beyond me. Like, how about proving that you had an alibi on the days that she's talking about? How about that? What, why, don't, why are you making up a medical condition about how you're unable to sweat like every other normal human, human being sweats? So anyway, to me, I'm just like, Prince Andrew was like, listen, I get that she's upset, but I, I'm just so royal that I don't even sweat. So clearly this, this wasn't me. Sorry. What a fucking idiot. Anyway, uh, that's pretty much it for our true crime update episode. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, since there aren't like a lot of trials going on at the moment that I think are worth covering or that you guys even want to know about, I think our next couple episodes will cover some cases that have already happened and, you know, we can discuss the logistics of the legal system in those trials. I'll also probably do some episodes on ongoing true crime investigations that haven't even made it to trial. Maybe people haven't even been charged in them yet, but, um... Oh, as a side note, I did find out there's a new serial killer out there, guys. I don't want to I don't want to get too far into it, but don't worry. He's already been caught, but his victims seem to really be growing. The number of victims seems to really be growing. Um, I'm going to leave you hanging on this one for now, so stay tuned, but as of right now, we're already up to 5 victims and there seems to be a very very clear methodology here and honestly unfortunately i'm thinking that we're going to come across a lot more victims too so stay tuned for that and like i mentioned on my on this not on my on this shows i uh, instagram and twitter we are going to discuss the upcoming supreme court decision that's surrounding the issue of abortion and 
I know that might be boring for some people, but it's definitely important and it's important to understand the legality of how these decisions are made. But before we get into that part of it, the constitutional law part of it, I'm going to do an episode that's more involving a true crime, true crime concept. And we're going to start with that. And although that case has abortion as a central part of it, it actually has nothing to do with the legality of abortion in the context that we all know about it from Roe v. Wade and all that. So, you know, that case is about a person who some might deem to be the most prolific serial killer in American history. And at that guy's trial, which went down in 2013, there was a lot of crazy stuff that came out, and I think you'll find it interesting. So that'll be our next episode, and we're going to tie it into the abortion discussion in the following episodes. So, like I said, stay tuned and don't forget to follow the show on social media at LD Blonde Pod on Twitter and Legally Dirty Blonde Pod on the gram. And remember, until then, legally dirty blondes have more fun. <laughs>